Well, praise God. How many of this is the first time that you ever heard me speak? Okay. Now, well, okay, well, maybe some of you raised your hand and heard me this morning, but that's okay. <laughs> well, let me give just brief background information real quickly. My wife, Lisa's at the back. If you want to wave and say hi, hon. Hmm. Lisa has a powerful testimony. Just, just the fact that she's even alive today is, is amazing. In fact, she experienced the Lord in a most powerful way growing up because the doctors told her parents that she wouldn't live to be maybe 16 or maybe 18 at the most. She's born with cerebral palsy, and it was um, so severe that it was killing her. And she wasn't a Christian. She grew up in a family with a stepfather that said none of my kids will ever step foot in a church. He had a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, a lot of anger, and a lot of bitterness in his life, and, and, um, and determined man in the wrong direction of life. But, um, but my wife, it's her salvation experience was supernatural. I mean, it was just powerful because um, she, you know, I grew up in church. I'm a PK kid. If you know what a PK kid is, my dad was a pastor. So I grew up hearing the word of God, but my wife, she basically grew up heathen. She never read a Bible, and, and, um, but, you know, she had a very, very powerful salvation experience and change that came in her life as, as she experienced the Lord. And then even later in life, and she's a walking miracle. In the time that I've known her, I've seen healings manifest in her life. But, um, but she's a work in process. There is a difference between receiving a miracle and receiving healing. I see consistent healings manifest, and I've seen a lot happen. But, um, but you know, in the area of miracles, I'm seeing more and more. There's things I haven't seen, but I believe I will. I, see, I, think, I believe the most effective person operating the gifts of the Holy Spirit was Jesus. You look in the scriptures and see the kind of results he got. he got. He got amazing results. He was good. And we're supposed to be just like him. Get the same kind of results. But I will say this over the years as a minister, I can think back almost 30 years of praying for people. And I remember back in the beginning and praying for people that I didn't see the same kind of results that I see today. Now I saw powerful things happen. I can remember the first person that came out of a wheelchair almost 30 years ago. First person that was blind in their sight was restored for the first time almost 30 years ago. Those are wonderful things, but back then I saw inconsistency. I see some people healed and other people not healed, and I wouldn't understand why. And, you know, over the years, also, in ministering to people and praying for people, I've been looking for answers. Do we need to adjust the microphone, brother? Are we okay? Seems like I got a ringing coming back in my ears. What's that? Okay, thank you. But, um, but you know, over the years of experiencing failure and then finding answers, you know, all of us in ministry have experienced failure when it comes to ministering and praying and challenging circumstances, challenging situations, but that doesn't mean we're a failure. You don't become a failure until you identify with being that. And when you identify with it, then on the inside, you'll begin to live it and act like it. But finding answers. You know, every time I changed over the years, then I found that Jesus could work through me more effectively. And so there's a lot I've learned over the years, but I don't believe I've arrived. But praise God, I've left. 
And there's a difference between the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how they operate in the area of our heart and our authority in Christ. And, I, and today, on the subject I began this morning, I began to talk about that as far as just from the perspective of our heart and man receiving how important our heart is. And because you see, if you want to see consistency in receiving from God, I believe that's directly related to the heart of man. I believe the areas where we see inconsistency are the gifts of the Holy Spirit because, you know, it all depends on the ministry and where we're at, even in operating in the gifts. I remember a healing evangelist with a couple that I encouraged them because I'm talking to them over the phone. They're like a thousand miles away, possibly. And, you know, I encouraged them to, um, you know, take your little daughter. To, if a healing evangelist is in that area, church announces that uh, there's a healing minister, I said, take them. That's an avenue you can receive from. And this couple, they didn't know anything, everything. They grew up in a domination, healing and everything was new. And they just knew that they had this serious situation and they needed help or their little girl was going to die. And they, um, they saw a church in that town that put up a billboard, on the, on the billboard put up a sign and said, healing evangelist. And so they took their little girl there when the, when the guy was there. And they told me what happened later. They said the pastor got up and introduced the man. And when he introduced the man, you know, the man came up, the minister, and first thing came out of his mouth was this. He said, sometimes God heals, sometimes he doesn't. That's the perspective of usually an evangelist that operates in the area of healing through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It all depends upon the gifts and how they're operating at the time and also sometimes where the minister is at and allowing the gifts to operate, how effectively they operate through us because of us. The gifts can operate individually, one-on-one. The gifts can operate corporately. We come together. You know, but the gifts, you can go right down the line ministering to people one-on-one where the gifts are corporately. You could be meeting so large that it's physically impossible to pray for people one-on-one and the gifts operate a particular way. And Jesus operated so effectively, very, very powerfully. He got very powerful results in the area of the gifts. And so I've set my heart, I know what I'm believing. And so I'm going to see it because I'll believe it. And I'm willing to take a challenge. Over the years, I've gone into life and death situations. And almost 30 years ago, I didn't see the kind of results then that, that I'm getting today. I'm getting results with people that, um, well, like one lady that um, had come down to the place she couldn't come into the church anymore physically. And she's been prayed for many times with no physical change. First time, I spent two hours in her home. The first time when I prayed with her that there, when the time came that I released the anointing, released the life of Christ, there was physical change. That's the first time in prayer there was physical change. Hmm. I'll tell you, sometimes we just don't realize how much we limit Jesus. Changes in Christ is good. That kind of spiritual change is good because when you receive it, you're a different person. And that kind of change stays with you the rest of your life. You're different. Praise God. That's a good change. But, you know, as a minister that's been pursuing this area of healing over the years, you know, I've got, um, I've got a lot of insight. I've learned a lot of things. But, um, but, um, but I've seen students that have never got anyone healed before, and they've been so excited over the results they've got in prayer. I remember one situation where they, um, when one of the conferences that uh, I was preparing students to minister and pray for people, and when the, um, we, well, we had a break time after the first meeting, and they were sharing the testimonies, and sometimes they would share challenging circumstances. I would give them insights and minister more effectively, and 
you know, this one wife came up to me of, of her and her husband. They were, they were ministers there. And I had just trained them. And they, for the first time, began to pray for people. And she told me this. She said, uh, I couldn't sleep last night. And I thought I was going to have to pray for her. Something was wrong. But she said, no, it was my husband. He got so many people healed. He was so excited. He's bouncing off the wall all night. He wouldn't sleep. He kept me up all night. So you can get results and get wonderful results. But there are challenging circumstances sometimes in life that challenge our hearts. And I'm telling you, you can take a challenge, you can get answers. For Christians, there's no such thing as an impossible situation. I'll, I'll tell you something about the sign-up sheet in the back um, that I didn't mention this morning, that if you, if you uh, give us your information, especially your email address, we, we have a new technology we've been using now just a little over a year that, uh, where we send out video emails. It's like a little television shows up by email. You click on it, and you'll get my face, and I will um, be ministering for possibly about anywhere from 20 or less minutes, and sometimes testimonies, sometimes many teachings, and so we send that out every month. If you want that, you can get on the list and receive that. And so it's sent from our office in Colorado Springs out of, out of Colorado around the world. But the first time that I did one of those, the first testimony was a testimony of a, um, well, I just ministered out in New England in the United States out on the East Coast. And early, early, early Sunday morning, I was flying back to Chicago in order to be there early in the morning to minister. And, you know, Instead of arriving in Chicago, I arrived in South Carolina in the United States. That's a long ways apart. And, you know, I talked to an airplane pilot friend of mine. He said, we got safeguards in place to keep that from happening. And, but it happened. And I got to this small airport, and, I, and they told me they weren't going to get me out of there until 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And I just thought, I'm stuck all day in this airport. And, you know, out in New England, I had just ministered for days, for hours and hours on a particular subject. I was teaching students why Christians die and go to heaven instead of receiving healing. Giving insights into that area, because I've learned a lot, got a lot of insights. Because over the years, experiencing challenging situations, but wanting answers. You can get answers from God, or you can get answers based on your own heart. You can make a judgment on the inside where you determine what truth is, but that'll connect you to this natural realm when you do that. Hmm. When you get it from Jesus, boy, it brings life. But you see, I've been ministering on that subject, and here I am stuck in this airport. I thought, but, you know, it's about 30 minutes or so before church service on a Sunday morning normally starts, and I'm here stuck in this airport. And I remembered a pastor friend of mine, and so I thought, but, you know, what pastor has his cell phone turned on 30 minutes before the church service? Well, he did. I called him on the phone. I told him I was at this airport. Before I could get any more out of my mouth, he said, I'm sending my grandson over to pick you up. And it turned out that he had been up since 3 o'clock that morning because of a prominent member in his church that had passed away. And it was like, God, why? We were believing for him to live. Why did he die? And you know, let me tell you something. That man did something very smart. He did something that actually probably a large or maybe the, the largest percentage of Christians in the body of Christ don't do. It's sad, but he did something smart. And in a situation where it may seem like failure, that man sought the Lord. Since 3 o'clock that morning, he put his face before the Lord. He, he was wanting answers, and he put his face towards Jesus. That's a smart thing to do to run to the Lord. That's a smart thing to do. Even the disciples, when they experienced failure, they were smart enough to go to Jesus.
Lord, why couldn't we get him healed? Is what they said in private. Because he got results where they had failure. And they realized that if my rabbi can get results, then, there, then there's something wrong with me. Why? How, how did you get results when we had failure? What was the difference? And they were looking for answers. It's a smart thing to go to Jesus when you experience failure because when you're challenging situations and then you look into the natural realm to determine what truth is to your heart, you make a judgment. When we make a judgment on the inside of our heart, it's when we go beyond the circumstances of, this, of what's actually happening and we move into the area of speculation. We begin to speculate and determine what truth is based on how we see it, based on what those circumstances committed to us. And we could, like a lawyer, or you say a solicitor, we can sound really right when we look at the circumstances and, and we can use those circumstances to try to prove something to our own heart and to other people. But it's a judgment. It's based on speculation. It's not based on actual fact. We go beyond the facts when we make those kind of judgments. We moved into the area of speculation, which is all about us and how we see it, based on our five senses and what the circumstances communicated to us. And, you know, that's what a lot of Christians do. And they end up coming up with all kinds of strange and weird things, or beliefs of the heart that make sense to them because it's what those circumstances communicated to them. But it's not true according to God's word. And it can sound so right because, hmm, how we interpret things. When we look like a horse with blinders at life circumstances and we're not listening, we're not hearing from the Lord, then it's only one way. But you see, this man, he did something smart. He may have, you know what, they may experience in the natural what looked like failure in a situation because they didn't get the right kind of results they wanted, but he did something smart. He started seeking the Lord, and the Lord ordered my steps. You know, Proverbs says, a mighty man may plan his way, but it's the Lord that orders their steps. And, you know, the Lord took me all the way there for him. He'd been up since 3 o'clock that morning seeking his face, and it's, it was supernatural that I was there because they got safeguards in place to keep that from happening. And here I am in an airport that I'm not supposed to be at. And, but I was there, and I was there for him, and I showed up with a powerful healing service. I mean, it was just wonderful, but the man got answers for the benefit of his heart that brought him peace in that situation. I've learned a lot over the years in situations. You can learn from failure because even when we experience failure, we're not failures. It's like the pastor was talking about. We win no matter what. We got Jesus. If you've got Jesus, you're a winner. Even if we go home early, we still win. Man, we're just winners because of Jesus. He's made us winners. We've got to keep a right perspective on things or we'll allow the kind of hurt and pain in our lives to cause our hearts to walk away from the Lord. Not areas of our life where, not our, where our areas of life where we just have difficulty trusting him. When the reality is this, we do it to ourselves because we didn't turn to the Lord to get answers. The Holy Spirit would be our teacher if we let him. Praise God. Mine. Then 4 o'clock in the afternoon, I'm on to Chicago, heading on. But praise God. Man, the mind of man may plan his way, but it's the Lord that orders our steps. You know, this week at the college, um, I'm just going to share lots of, you know, I've got lots of questions in different areas, but um, I don't know if I'll be teaching and administering these, but I just want to just speak a number of these areas of questions that people have in the body of Christ. And so I'm sure I'll be touching on some of these this week, but, um, and then, of course, ministering quite a number of other things. But, uh, you know, kind of stuff is healing for today.
or is it God's will to heal everyone? Why are some people healed quickly and others slowly? Why do some Christians die instead of receiving healing? If someone has a gift of healing, why, do they, why, do they, um, why don't they just empty out a hospital? Well, I will say this, speaking of hospitals, um, uh, when I was in Belize, we, we were, they led us in the hospital in third world country, and we went from room to room, and we, I was getting results, just every bed. And friends of mine's ministering as well. So I can share lots and lots of testimonies. But, um, but what about people who have strong faith and have not been healed, or people who have died of a sickness believing to be healed? What about Job? Does the book of Job prove that God does not always heal or is not willing to heal? Doesn't Paul's thorn in the flesh prove that it's not God's will to heal everyone? What about the examples of people not being healed in the New Testament? Do not these prove that, that, that God does not always heal? Not everyone can heal the sick, only those who have the gift of healing. That's what some people believe. The fact that no one who has believed for salvation has ever been denied, but people who believe for physical healing have been denied, therefore healing cannot be in the atonement. Just some of the things people believe based upon how they, the judgments of the heart. Is there a difference between receiving salvation and receiving healing? Isn't it just positive thinking or the power of suggestion and healing? Is the inner healing of the emotions or fighting the sin or sins behind every physical problem needed before receiving healing? Are you in sin if you go to a doctor? Does God work through doctors? Hasn't many people given testimony of how God has healed them through a doctor? Should you pray for a person for healing if their lifestyle shows that they'll probably get the problem back again? Many examples there. But you can say that God wants people well, but what about a sickness leading to death? As the scripture says there, why, why doesn't everyone get healed who is prayed for? What about the sovereignty of God? Doesn't God choose to heal people and, and not heal others if he chooses? What about a curse, unforgiveness? Is this why some people are sick? Is sickness a result of God's judgment of sin? What, the example leprosy in uh, 2 Corinthians 5.27. Does Christians bring sick, um, sickness? Does Christians being sick bring glory to God? Suffering for the Lord. Is it wrong to take medication when believing for healing? What about 1 Corinthians 11.30? For this cause many are sick. What about James 5.14-15? Isn't it just the elders that pray for the sick? Is there a promise in the Bible that says God will heal you or that it's God's will to heal? You know, there's just many, many. I've got many more questions. You know, so these are a lot of the, the questions and things that come out of the heart of believers in the body of Christ when they're in the process of determining what truth is in an area where they've been challenged, but their heart lacks complete understanding. You know, over the years, praying for people back in the beginning, I saw inconsistency. But over the years, being challenged, praying for so many people... My wife and I, it's no exaggeration, just the number of people we've prayed for because back at the first ministry where we ministered, then for every hour, I mean, just when you put the phone down, it would ring again. We've, met, we've, we've led so many people to the Lord, we've lost count. Just the people we've led in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the evidence of speaking in tongues, people that uh, from getting set free from bondage, just in so many different areas, just every different type, relational problems, financial problems, every kind of thing you can think of. People that are suicidal, every kind of problem you can think of that uh, people are challenged in this life, in this area. And so preparation for ministry for myself was very, very practical, whereas for my father, it was theological with a seminary and, and education. I've got a lot of education, I've got degrees, but you know, for me, it was practical because I like getting results. Whenever I release the life of Christ, I like change to come. And so... 
tonight, I haven't got time to, of course, answer all these questions in, in, um, in the college. I'll be able to um, go, go into quite a bit of detail in areas that, um, you know, church service, I haven't got the time. But tonight, I'd, I'd really like to contrast. I want to contrast two people. And in the contrasting these two people tonight, I'm going to switch gears and just, uh, I'll still touch on the subject this morning, but I'm not going to complete it this moment. But uh, because even, even tonight, I couldn't complete the subject I've started this morning. But, uh, but I did introduce the subject to you. But tonight, I want to contrast two people that Jesus ministered to. Both of them were uniquely different in the fact that one of them received through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The other received based on their heart and how they were believing. But inwardly, they were uniquely two different people in more than one way. One was a male, one was a female, but the fact was this. Even though they were male and female, the person on the inside was different in each of them. They were uniquely different people. The life had communicated different things to them and how they saw life and how they lived life, what was truth to them, was different for each of these people. They were uniquely different people. And Jesus ministered to both of them in this situation, but how they received. One received based on their heart, the other received through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There's a difference in how you receive between the two. And so this is just one example of the gifts I'm going to give you from scriptures. But the first one I'm going to talk about is a lame man by the pool of Bethesda. And the lame man, we can find the example of this in Acts chapter 3, verse 1 through 16. And it's Peter in this situation, and John. And verse 1, but um, it says that the, verse 2, there was, there was a certain lame man for his mother's womb was carried when they had daily at the gate of the temple which is called beautiful to the arms which had entered to the temple who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple asked him hmm you know what? I'm going to shift gears here uh, that's a good uh, that's good there but I'm going to shift gears and go to, back to Jesus that wasn't the one I really wanted to minister in fact I think I'll just verbally share it until I find the scriptures on it but um, the lame man by the pull of the is the one I really want to talk about right now and this lame man, by the pull of Bethesda, this man had been in that condition, the scripture says, 30 and 8 years. Now, that's a long time. But in this situation, we find that there's a lot of people by the pull of Bethesda. And there's people that are maimed, there's people that are blind, there's people that are halt the withering, there's different types of physical ailments and serious problems. And they're all by this pool of Bethesda because as an angel would trouble the water, and when the angel would trouble the water, the first person in the water would be healed. Now, let me tell you something about human nature. If nothing was happening, how long do you think those people would stay there? If there was no physical change and it wasn't working, and there wasn't, in other words, when the water was troubled, if somebody wasn't physically changing, in other words, there was something motivating these people to live by this pull. And if people were not physically changing, knowing human nature, how long would they stay there? I mean, how long would you stay if you never saw one person change and you never saw anything happen? You begin to think that, oh, this is just a bunch of baloney. There's no, no truth in this. And your heart would take you another direction, your heart being like a guidance system. You'd choose something else. You'd go somewhere else. But I'm telling you that people were staying there because something was happening. And it's interesting because you see, first person healed, that's a form of communication. Why didn't God just heal everybody? Why was it the first 
person that stepped into the water? These are all the kind of insights and things you need to look into the scriptures because it's a form of communication. You're, it's God and how he's relating to man. It, you know, and in this situation, first person in gets healed. Not all of them, the first person in. Isn't that interesting? Because we would have the tendency to think, well, let's help everybody. In fact, you might look at this lame man in that condition for 38 years and Jesus, when he walked into that situation, a word of knowledge. He had knowledge instantly given to him by the Spirit of God because he knew that man had been in that condition for a very long time. He knew that man had sin in his life. He knew other things about that man. He knew the man was unwilling to be healed. And he questioned the man. Now, out of all those people, God chose that one man. This tells us something about our Heavenly Father. Out of all the people that could have chosen, he chose this man. And this is the one. There's, there's a gift operating here. God gave Jesus information and knowledge because something's going to happen. There's something he wants to do. And so he chose this man, and so Jesus has knowledge about this man. He knows he'd been there a long time, and he questioned the man, how long has it, you know, how long have you been in this condition? No, excuse me, he said, are you willing to be made whole? So he questioned the man, how, are you willing to be made whole? And the man told him this, he gave him a, um, a reason why it wouldn't work. He's, he's, you know, the man told him, he said, look, I have no one to put me into the water, but when I go to get in the water, another cometh and steppeth down before me. Now, you think about that for a second. If there was a pool that God was healing people today and that was happening today and a church service and we heard about this man that just was lame and laying by this water and when he would try to get into the water, another would get in before him, what do you think we might do? Why, we'd form a committee. We'd pass around this tablet. We'd sign up for two-hour shifts. Just put your name, two people per ship, because we're determined he's going to get in that water and we're going to help him to get in there. And man, we're going to be there and watch and watch him for the troubling of the water and help him in there. But you see, it required a response from his heart. You see, when I thought about this situation with this man, because in the natural, doesn't that sound good? In the natural, look, he's limited. He can't physically get in there. But I thought about something. I even thought about my wife because there was a time when she was in traction and when she was in traction, if she moved, it could kill her. And she came to a place on the inside of her heart that said this, I'd rather die than live like this because I've been like this before. Lord, I mean, you can take me home, but I'm not staying like this. But to act on what God had been speaking to her required a response from the heart. But let me tell you, it hurt. There was incredible pain when she convinced a family member to come out of traction, and it could kill her. It took a long time to convince them. And then when she began to move, because within herself, she knew if she just put her feet and touched the floor and stood up, she knew she was going to be made whole. She knew she was going to walk. But she almost passed out from the pain. There was incredible pain just getting up. A lot of people, you would think that, no, the pain alone is a form of communication. I mean, you try to trust God when you've got pain. And you're feeling the problem, the problem speaking to you through pain. It's like, not working. And then the pain gets worse. Really? Not working? Because it's speaking to you. You feel it. She almost passed out from the pain. But you see, a determined person... What I realized about this man was this, was that he, didn't, he was not willing to be made whole. 
a determined person would find a way into that water. I thought about it, and there's all kinds of things you could do. You could roll over into the water. Or maybe he could get up on his staff, get himself up and hold himself up, waiting for the trouble in the water, because in the water's trouble, he's determined to beat every single person that he's going to fall in. But if he falls in or he rolls in, let me tell you, this man, he can't swim. He's either going to receive or he's going to die. Do you think he knew about that? A fearful person, a person that expects bad on the inside, a person that convinces themselves that it won't work by consuming their heart with the circumstances and coming to their own judgment, their own conclusion, uh, that kind of a person will live right next to the answer but never receive because they've allowed something else to become truth and reality on the inside of them. They're expecting bad even though they want good. That's the definition of fear from the Hebrew language when there's an expectation of bad. But you want good, but you expect bad. And this man was not willing. You know what's interesting in this situation is that Jesus knew he'd been in that condition for a long time. Jesus knew he wasn't willing. A determined person would find a way into the water, do or die. But this man, he really wasn't willing. And the man had sin in his life. Jesus knew all of these things, but Jesus never dealt with his heart. There's the gifts of the Holy Spirit in operation. You know what Jesus did? When the man told him, Sir, I have no one to help me down to the water, Jesus turned to the man and said, Rise, take up your bed and walk. That's a command and because there's gifts in operation. He already knew that was going to happen. He already knew exactly what the Father was going to do. And power, wham, was released. If you could physically see that man and watch that man, he would not get off the ground like you and I would. If you were laying on the ground... And think about how you get yourself up, your arms, your legs, your muscles. You'd be pushing and, and, and getting up and, and you know, getting yourself up and, getting, and coming up to erect position. But you know what? He didn't do that. That man with the power of God, next thing you know, you know what? He's on the ground. Next thing you know, he's up on his feet. Because when the power of God through the gifts of the Holy Spirit in operation, it's powerful. You know, when the power of God hit my wife, when the healing manifested in her, one second she's sitting, the next second she's standing up, and she didn't push herself up like you and I would. Power, wham! That man's up, and rise, take up your bed and walk, and he's walking, and Jesus disappears. And the man got in trouble because it was a Sabbath. And, you know, who was the one that was healing in Israel at this time? It was Jesus. They questioned him, who did this? But they knew who did it. But the man couldn't tell him who. And Jesus came to him later, found him in the temple. You know what? Isn't it interesting? He found him afterwards, not before. Jesus dealt with the issue of sin in the man's heart, not before receiving the manifestation, but after receiving the manifestation. Not everybody who receives healing, you know, has sin. That's not what I'm saying. But this man did. This man had it in his heart, and it was just a matter of time. You've got something on the inside. It's just a matter of time until you're going to do it. If, it. if it dominates you on the inside, if it's on the inside, it consumes you. Because sin has power. Romans 6, 14, Paul the Apostle said, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, you are under grace. I minister to Christians all the time that sin does have power over them. You know why? Because the opposite of that scripture is true as well. You try to deal with sin from the, from the law, the law being your own strength, your own ability, just you trying to get yourself free. You try just being an overcomer. We're an overcomer through Christ. He accomplished it for us. 
We receive freedom through him, and the freedom that comes through him comes from the inside. It doesn't come from the outside unless someone's praying for you. But there's an enabling ability that comes from within by the Holy Spirit that sets a person free, sets a person free inwardly on the inside, sets them free on the inside, and we're different. And sin loses its power because the anointing destroys the oak. Wham, just like that. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you're not under the law, you're under grace. Grace is, is through Jesus Christ, not through us getting ourselves free. It comes through Jesus. And it destroys sin's power because it loses its ability to have a hold on us inwardly. We're talking about that dominating sin, the issues that dominate and control. Hmm. Because of his life that dwells on the inside of us, we can experience freedom. All of a sudden, a bond is gone just like that loses its power. Hmm. And the transformation that comes in renewing the mind. Our heart can change to the Word of God working in our heart. But a person in a bondage, it's like it dominates them and dominates. But the anointing, wham! Freedom. And this man, Jesus was trying to help him. He found him in the temple. He came up to him. Now he knows it's Jesus, and Jesus is standing right before him, and Jesus said, sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you, because Jesus had not yet gone to the cross. He's trying to help this man. And the man's still under the law, and the man has it in his heart, and it's just a matter of time until he's going to do it, and Jesus would have helped him. But do you know what the man did, how the man responded? He didn't say one word. That's a form of communication. Sometimes silence says more than words. Because as the pastor mentioned, Matthew 12, 34 is one example of the last part of that scripture, or out of that scripture, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of our heart, sometimes our mouth speaks, but sometimes what we don't say reveals a lot. What we don't do reveals a lot. Hmm. What's actually in the heart of a person? And you do see this man's heart revealed because Jesus couldn't help him because the man was unwilling. Who's standing before this man? Who is Jesus? But he's a rabbi. This man had a rabbi standing before him in a culture that if you have a physical problem, then they automatically believe that you're in sin. If you've got a physical problem, they take it from the Miriam out of the Old Testament and, and because of leprosy that was put upon her because of her sin against Moses. And so they judged every person with a physical problem. You've got a physical problem, obviously you've sinned, and that's what they believe. And God did this to you. Even the disciples with a blind man born from birth started a theological discussion with Jesus all about this man they're walking past, this man. Lord, was it his sin? Or, well, let me see, he was born blind from birth, so uh, you know what could have been his parents? Let's go a little deeper here. Was it his parents' sin? And they're looking for the answer concerning the man in sin because you grow up in the law. You grow up since you're a little kid being taught the law every day of your life. You would talk that way too because they're walking with Jesus, but their hearts had not changed. They're still in the process of becoming something, becoming like him. And here they are in a situation and they're trying to determine what truth is in the situation based upon the performance of the person because that's the law. And Jesus brought them right back to him because he's the light of the world. Took him off of, his, off of the man, off of the parents and brought it right back to him, his disciples. Hmm. And that was powerful what took place. But the blind man, now this lame man, 
Here's Jesus right before his face, and it's a rabbi that's standing before him. And he's saying, sin no more, because the man has sin on the inside. It's just a matter of time until he's going to do it. And Jesus is trying to help him, but he's unwilling. He just shuts up. He doesn't say one thing. In fact, Jesus, he can't help him, so he just turns. Jesus turns and walks away. And so the man, his heart's revealed immediately. You know what he did? He went directly to the Jews and said, it was Jesus, it was Jesus. Think about that for a second. You've had a problem, Scripture says, 38 years. And we don't know how long by this pull, but he's had this problem in his life for 38 years. Here he is walking and he's free, and the man that helped you is standing right in front of your face. Don't you think, I mean, don't we teach our kids to at least say when somebody gives them candy, don't we teach them to, uh, is that sugar free? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> don't we just teach them to say thank you? Just express gratitude because we don't want our children to grow up feeling entitled. Like everybody owes them something. Because we don't want that character established on the inside of their heart and life. When somebody goes out of their way to do something nice and goes out of their way to help them when they don't have to, it's proper to express gratitude from the heart that you mean it, sincere that you mean it. And you want, we want our children to grow up with this proper character. But here's a man and the person standing before him set him free from a problem for 38 years and you don't even hear that man say thank you. Even if the man didn't like what Jesus was saying, he could at least said, well, you know, at least thank you for what you did for me. Even if he didn't agree with him, but you don't hear anything. That man's not saying one word. In fact, the man went directly to the people that had rejected him. All of his life, with 38 years of this problem, the people that judged him. Just like, a, you know, when I was in Israel back in the 80s and in Lebanon, I, when I was in Israel, I watched this Hasidic Jew stop and watch this blind man. And so I stopped and watched the Jew, the city Jew, as he's watching the blind man. And he's sitting there, and the blind man has all dressed properly. He's got the Torah, even though he can't read it. And he's saying all the right things. He's making all the right movements. He's praying the right prayers. And the man is begging, and he's got, he's got a, a cup out there for you to put money in. But this man is watching and listening, everything this man's doing. And he probably watched him for about three to five minutes. And this Hasidic Jew is determining, based on this man's performance, whether or not he's going to give him money based upon whether or not he's performing correctly if he believes the man's sincere. And so the man, you know, he's learned his trade really well. He knows the people where the money is coming from. And so he's performing very well, and so this man decides, okay, I'm going to be merciful, and I'm going to show you mercy. And he takes money out and puts it in the bowl and gives him money. That's the culture. That's the belief system of the culture is that, well, we'll be merciful, but you don't deserve it. But I'm going to show mercy, but you don't deserve it. Hmm. God was merciful to us. See, I think it's very interesting it's when Jesus hears this man has sin in his life, but he never dealt with the issue before the manifestation of healing. If you, try, if you deal with people's issues in their heart and the area of sin before getting a person healed, you'll make them sin conscious. You know what happens when you're consciously aware now of the sin in your life? Your eyes are off of Jesus. And it's hard to get your eyes off of yourself when life becomes all about us and we're so focused on self. And now our eyes are off of him and our eyes are on us when it comes to receiving. Receiving becomes about us instead of Jesus. Even salvation, of course, 
is about Jesus. It's not about us. It was for us. If it was about us, we could have got ourselves saved. The Old Testament would have worked. We could have got ourselves saved. But salvation is about Jesus Christ. It's what he accomplished for us. Here's the man standing before Jesus and the man's unwilling. And I think that really speaks volumes because the man went directly to the people that had rejected him. You know, Proverbs 17, 20 says, a crooked heart, old King James language says forward, but a crooked heart can't see good. You know how twisted the human heart can get when we want acceptance from the people that's been rejecting us. But we want acceptance from them, but they've been rejecting us. And, and so inwardly we crave something from the very people that have been exalting themselves over us by judging us. And that was the condition this man's heart was in. He was wanting acceptance from those that, you know what, here was life standing before him, but he chose something over Jesus. Let me tell you something. This speaks volumes about our Heavenly Father. Out of all the people God chose, don't you know, God, God knew the condition of this man's heart. God knew the issues in his life. He knew he was unwilling to be made whole. He knew he had sin in his life. He knew he had been in that condition a very long time. All this knowledge was given out of all the people that God chose, our Heavenly Father chose, he chose this man. Out of all those people, he chose this man, a man that was ungrateful, a person that had sin in their life. Isn't God merciful? We don't receive according to what we, what we deserve. He's merciful. This speaks a lot about our Heavenly Father. He's merciful. Hmm. I want to tell you something. That it's just a matter of time to this man's going to lose his healing. The scriptures don't follow the people. The scriptures follow Jesus. But John's gospel said, I suppose if everything Jesus did was recorded, there wouldn't be enough books to contain it all. They saw a lot. They saw a lot. I know what I see in just one year. I'm constantly ministering to people, constantly in different situations. I know what I see in one year. And Jesus, I'm sure he saw a lot more than me. There was volumes that they saw experience. But you see, this man, hmm, out of all the people God could have chose, he chose this man. But then, there's another person I'd like to talk to you about and then compare the two in a way. In Mark chapter 5, there's the woman with the issue of blood. In Matthew chapter 9, also Mark, Luke chapter 8, it's the same story, but I'm just going to expound on this story and share this. This woman. It says in verse 25 that she had had this problem for 12 years. Now you think about living with the problem for 12 years. 12 years is a long time. There are some people who live with their problems. Well, think about the father who brought his son to, to Jesus, but instead the disciples that were there ministered to him. And they experienced failure in that situation. They couldn't get him free. That, his son, you know, he was no longer young. He'd been in that condition for a very long time because Jesus questioned him. Here's a woman that had been in this condition for 12 years, but had not given up. Here's a woman that under pressure, extreme circumstances, and beyond that, the scripture says this in verse 26, she suffered many things from many physicians in Mark chapter 5 and verse 26 and had spent all that she had and was nothing better but grew worse. We're talking about two things here. We're talking about the people you go to to get help. Instead of you getting better, you get worse. Is that a form of communication? Does that 
a challenging circumstance in life that has the potential of maybe influencing your heart and how you believe? Not only that, but all of her money? There's not many people, I wonder, who, when their money's gone, it's like that's the end. When there's no more resources in the natural, because, you see, there's a lot of people that trust in the resources. And without the resources, where would your confidence be? Because it's like you, in the natural, it's like you haven't got anything to work with. This woman, you know, when you look at her heart in this condition, this woman experienced suffering. It didn't get better, it got worse when she spent her money on physicians and she spent her money to try to get better. And she spent down to the point that every penny, she spent everything, everything was gone. Everything you could lose confidence in the natural was gone and taken over hands. And this woman in this situation, she was worse, not better. And then verse 27, she heard of Jesus. And when she heard of Jesus, she went to him. And the scripture says, when she heard of Jesus, came in the press behind him and touched his garments, for she said, if I may but touch his clothes, I shall be whole. This was already in her heart. I want to tell you something. Here's a person under extreme circumstances, 12 years, and who experienced in failure constantly and not getting better got worse, even to the point of all your substance gone in the natural, but you still heard of something else. Here's a person that hadn't given up on the inside. I bet you she'd have made a great businesswoman. I bet you she could have operated under extreme pressure and come out and come right through it when other people would have given up in their heart and, and shrunk back into a place of unbelief. I bet you she could operate very effectively because she's, she's keeping her eyes on the promise instead of on the problems. You see a completely different individual here in this circumstance, in this situation. And here's an individual that when she saw, she, she heard of Jesus... She said within her own heart, if I but take over the hem of his garment, I shall be whole. She said that on the inside. That was her game plan. And for her to make that kind of decision, it was a do or die. If she was discovered, it could cost her her life. According to the law, she could lose her life. And so under adverse circumstances, she had to make a decision. You don't see her hesitating. A determined person will find a way. A determined person who is looking for good and she heard of Jesus. And there's hope. And here's the game plan. But you've got to understand the culture. There was a reason why she was taking over the hymn. It had a religious significance. It was like taking over of, of God because of the rabbi. A rabbi and their garment, the hymn, it, when you take hold of the hymn, it's like taking hold of the horns of the altar. It's like taking hold of God. And it had almost a cultish belief in that culture. There's times in scriptures people receive healing just by touching Jesus, touching the hymn. There's power and virtue being released because of the beliefs of their heart. You see how you set your heart to believe. She had one way of receiving. She set her heart, if I but take over the hymn of his garment, I shall be whole. Here was hope. Here was a rabbi. Powerful things were happening. Here was hope. But, you know, this speaks volume about the woman because, you see, her heart was capable of taking her in there. Fear will, will cause you to look at the answer but be afraid to go in. Fear will cause you to stay at a safe place. Fear will cause you to pull back into the safety zone. You want it. You wish it would come to you. But your own heart won't take you there. Like a guy that says you can't go there because of the fear of bad, the expectation of bad on the inside. When fear is established within the human heart, we may want good, but we expect bad. And then beyond that, when it's in the heart, we look to prove what we believe. 
We'll look at the circumstances and determine what will happen, and we'll magnify the bad to the point that on the inside of our heart, that becomes truth and reality to us, and we'll justify standing here even though the answer's right over there. The answer's just with Jesus, but I've got to press into the crowd to take a hold of him to receive. Let me tell you, you don't see the woman hesitating. This is a determined person. It's a do-or-die situation. And a do-or-die person, you know, they're not passive. They don't look in the natural room and make judgments based upon what their eyes are seeing. They have their eyes on Jesus. You don't think about having your eyes on Jesus for a New Testament believer is this. John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. What is the Lord speaking? What's the Lord seeing? Are you walking in blind faith? Are you just blindly walking along just saying, oh, well, I'm just believing this. But you're not hearing his voice. You're being led by the Spirit. There's a walk. We walk. We can get answers for anything. We can hear his voice. Hmm. You can act on the word of God with understanding. Hmm. And this woman, the scripture says this, verse 29, and straight away the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, who touched my clothes? And he, dis- and he said unto his disciples, thou seest the multitude, on his disciples said unto him, thou seest the multitude thronging thee and saith thou who touched me? And he looked around about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done to her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. The woman didn't receive judgment, but you see, when she was discovered, see, this was probably her game plan. I'm going to squeak in there, sneak in there, nobody's going to know, take a hold of him. And sure enough, she immediately knew something had happened. She knew she'd received. Her game plan was probably going to sneak out of here. Nobody's going to know, but Jesus stopped. He felt the virtue of the anointing and the power leave his body. He felt it, and he stopped. And when he stopped, she's trapped. She can't get away. Because everybody stopped. And he's, he's turning to the disciples who touched me. And they're looking at him like, uh, what do you mean touch? Everybody's touching us. I mean, we're in a crowd. We're in a crowd of people. They're in Capernaum. Jesus had just come across the Sea of Galilee, just got the demonic set free. He landed. Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, said, come, lest my little girl die. He's on the way. Except the woman that issued blood stopped everything. And when she did, he stopped. And while he stopped... In this situation, he's turned to his disciples. He said, you know, they couldn't give him the knowledge in the natural. He was seeking knowledge in the natural because Jesus, you may say, well, the Holy is Jesus. He knows everything. No, if he had something you and I didn't have, but he, but he put the requirement was us to become just like him, to be just like him, but he had something we didn't have, that would be unfair. Be like we're kids in school and the teacher gives one student something that gives them an advantage over all these students but expects the same performance. It'd be like, not fair, not fair. The reality is this. Jesus is our example. Anything he did, we can do. You believe it? He walked on water. You believe we can walk on water? Good, because we're going to go out and practice. We're going to go to a swim pool after. So I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, you know what? I had a dream about walking on water. And my feet only went into the water about half an inch. Now let me tell you something, that'll mess with your head. Because water can't hold your weight. 
But I wasn't shrinking. I was staying. I was standing. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said that you're learning to walk on water. In other words, walking on water is you're walking at a place where you can't rely upon the five senses. You can't rely upon self. You're at a place where, you know, you've got this place on the inside where it happens by the Spirit of God. Your heart can't figure it out. It just doesn't make sense. You can't figure it out with the natural mind, but it works. But you're not in control. And that's hard when we like to stay in control because we trust in self. And if we can control everything going around us, then we've got this confidence on the inside because we're used to staying in control. There's a place in Christ where you can walk on water by the Spirit of God where you've got more confidence in Him than you do yourself. Where you trust in your confidence is that and your heart has confidence because out of nowhere things happen. And your heart becomes established and trained and strengthened and becomes firm because you've got confidence, not in yourself. But you see... Jesus, in this situation, the disciples couldn't give him the knowledge in the natural. He tried to get it in the natural. So when he couldn't get it from people, he couldn't get it from the natural realm. You know what? He got it from the spiritual realm. God showed him the woman. He was looking, and there she was. And, he, and she knew that he knew that she knew that he knew. And I'm just kidding. She knew the gig was up. There was Jesus. He was looking right at her, and she knew it. And it's at that moment that fear hit her. Because the realization of the circumstances. You know what? For coming in a crowd of people, that physical problem in touching someone, she could cost her her life. She could be stoned on the spot. But instead, she didn't receive judgment but mercy. And she came before Jesus, though, but she fell before him, and she's confessing everything. You know what she's doing? She's like a lawyer pleading her case. It's like, I don't deserve to be judged. I'm clean. I'm whole. Because fear, the fear of death, the realization she could lose her life. But she didn't receive. In fact, Jesus told her something, woman, it was your faith that made you whole. She received not based on his heart, but based on her heart. He had no idea who touched him. I'm telling you, a determined person will find a way. Because when you've got your face towards Jesus, when you're looking at him, a determined person will connect to the Lord. A determined person will receive. When we take our eyes off of ourselves. A determined person will receive. It's just when we can't get beyond self, when a heart becomes consumed with us. See, I'll give you an example of a man that receives the gifts of the Holy Spirit not based on his heart. That man definitely had unbelief in his heart. You know the gifts of the Holy Spirit had the potential of bypassing the minister, the heart of the minister, and the heart of the person receiving? That's exactly what happened in that situation because that man didn't receive based on how he's believing. It was the gifts. In all, he, Jesus already knew exactly what was going to happen in that situation. You know, Jesus never dealt with his heart. The man gave him an excuse, a reason why it wasn't working. And in that situation, you know what? Jesus didn't turn around and said, no, you're not being truthful. You're not telling the truth. And deal with the issues of his heart. He never dealt with his heart. But he did address it. Are you willing to be made whole? The man wasn't willing. And when the man gave an excuse, he never dealt with his heart. That's the gifts of the Holy Spirit in operation. And that man received based on Jesus, based on the gifts. When the gifts in operation, it's powerful because people, you know, at one meeting where the, where the gifts in operation, you know, when I was praying, people got healed right where they were sitting. 
Almost every single person, even the people that came in the altar call came for other reasons. Almost every single person that received, received right where they were sitting. Physical problems, people change. That's the gifts in operation. And people could have sin in their life or people could have issues of unbelief and still receive through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But I will tell you this, in the body of Christ, there is a problem in the area of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And the problem having to do with healing is this. It's the fact that there's such a large percentage of Christians that are losing their healing through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Not through the area of authority. I believe the largest percentage of Christians are keeping their healing in the area of authority. Because when you receive based on authority, it's based on your heart. And if you receive based on your heart, then you know what? Your heart's changed. You, you've got the potential of keeping anything you receive. It's not hard. I taught a little 10-year-old boy how to keep his healing from cancer. I mean, when he was eight years old, everything went wrong for two years. I mean, think about it from the parent's perspective. Their little kid, cancer, eight-year-old child, cancer. You imagine what the parents went through? I mean, the father, I bet you if that father could have traded places with his son, he'd have done it in a heartbeat. If it was physically possible to take that cancer off his kid and put it on himself, man, he would trade places in a heartbeat. You might imagine how helpless they felt, especially when everything went wrong for two years. The doctors, because the femur bone, the long bone of the leg, had to replace not once but twice with all the complications, all the problems. The doctors coming in and giving them bad reports. One bad report after the other for two years. Hearing nothing but bad, then... After the second operation, this kid, you know, he's 10 years old now, and he's got one leg up in the air off the floor. He's in braces. And they brought him to me for, before the meeting started, and they found out I was there, and so I met with him for an hour before the meeting. Out of all the things I could have taught them and taught the child, actually what I did was this. I took the majority of the, of the time and talked to the parents, but the fear that was coming out of their heart. They've been challenged by these circumstances. It got on the inside of their heart because the doctors didn't talk to the boy. The doctors, I mean, he's just a kid. The doctors talked to the parents. They're the ones making the decisions for the child because he's just a little kid. If those doctors would have come in there and said, well, I'm just not sure you're going to live, i tell you what, those parents would come, my dad would come unglued all over that doctor that would say something like that to his kid. He's just a child. But you see, the parents heard all the bad for two years, all the challenging circumstances they had to deal with for two years. Their hearts were different than his heart at 10 years old. And this is a kid that can understand sports. He knew sports, so I talked to him on a level that a kid can understand. I talked about, as an example, I took a short amount of the time, maybe 15 or 20 minutes or so, and I taught him how to guard his heart. Out of all the things I could have said to him, I told him how to keep his healing. How to, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of your heart springs forth the issues of life. We live life right out of our heart. Protecting, guarding, and keeping our heart is essential for the quality of life that we live in Christ. I'm going to tell you something about losing your healing. It's not, I know that's what we say, but it's not the truth. That's not really what happens. You don't lose something, you choose something over Jesus. We don't just lose it, we give it away. That's the reality, is that we choose something over him. That's what unbelief is, is choices and decisions we make over Jesus. We determine what truth is based on the natural circumstances in this natural realm, and we judge, we determine what truth is, and we make a judgment. And that unbelief is always about us. All unbelief is always about us. But the answer is always about Jesus. But the problem, the unbelief in that is, is always about us and what we think and what we believe. Because when what we believe is contrary to the truth of God's word, we got a heart problem in how we're believing. But you see, 
Jesus. This little boy, you see, he had a different heart than his parents. He may have gone through the circumstances, but they weren't on the inside of him. He was a different person than his parents. He didn't have the same fear on the inside. I taught him how to guard his heart. And I, I used practical illustrations that a kid that understood sports could understand because I used terminologies like a basketball and guarding the basketball and football and not letting someone just take it out of your hands. But you, he understood this. And I used terminologies and scriptures and applied them in a manner that a kid could understand and taught him how to guard his heart. I said, son, this is something your parents can't do for you. Only you can protect your heart. It doesn't matter what's coming out of the heart of another person. I talked to him about that because of words and the influence words can have upon your heart because they can paint a picture on the inside if you let them. They get on the inside of you and they'll paint a picture in the imagination of your heart because God is the one that gave us our imagination. Our imagination can be vain or it can work for us. David understood that. First Chronicles 29, 18, where David prayed. It's an Old Testament prayer, but he prayed, God, you help them through the imagination of their heart. New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, a vain imagination is always about us, but it's exalted against God. Exalted. Because it's a belief. Our beliefs on the inside of our heart that become exalted inwardly on the inside. They're exalted inwardly on the inside. And it's against God, but it's in us. It's exalted on the inside. But the answer isn't found in casting down vain imaginations. Not the way some Christians interpret that scripture. Because you can mow grass and keep mowing grass and it'll keep growing. You, keep, you try just casting down and casting down and casting down. You'll wear yourself out silly. Because the root of the issue is in your heart. And the scripture doesn't tell us to cast down the vain imaginations. It says the process of casting vain imagination is the fact that we're looking to Jesus. Because 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, exalted against God, but every thought's brought captive to the obedience of Christ, the last part of that scripture says. It's brought captive. That's a process that takes time for the vain thoughts and feelings and emotions and our beliefs and how we see things to be brought captive to the obedience of Christ. That means you exchange one for another. You've got to let go and let go of your judgments, let go how you see it and replace it with truth, replace it with truth. And that's a process because you can't lie to your own heart. You can't just say, okay, this is the answer. Okay, and because on the inside, your heart's saying, yeah, but what about this? You've got to resolve the issue on the inside. It's a process for change, change. That's why we're looking to Jesus. The answer's found in him. In a very practical way, you've got to see him in your life and see exactly. Let me ask you, say it this way. There's a time that the disciples wanted an external experience with God. And they turned to the Lord. Lord, show us the Father. Because look at the experiences Jesus had. Boy, powerful experiences. Man, open up the heavens, show us God. Give us something powerful. I mean, if an angel could show up, you could talk to him tonight, what do you think? Or maybe Jesus himself, if he could walk into your home, wouldn't that be wonderful? I mean, it'd be powerful. Or it'd be awesome. It'd be a wonderful experience. You'd come to the church and everybody would want to hear your story, your testimony. But that's not the norm. You could live and die and never have that experience. But we all have the Spirit of God on the inside of us. Isn't it interesting that Jesus in this situation, you see, they were wanting something external. Instead, he turned it internal. And he said, how long have you been with me? You've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because the true person is inwardly. That, just bring that to a practical level. That means Jesus 
operating under pressure, when he was under pressure and he made choices and decisions, you're seeing exactly how God thinks. You're seeing your heavenly father, how he thinks, how his perspective, how he sees from his perspective, how the choices, the decisions in life would be made. Jesus lived it. Jesus, every, every, everything he lived and breathed and said, everything he did was an exact representation of the Father because he lived it. He, he and the Father were one. And so how he thought, how he related in life, you can see the Father. If you look at the life of Christ, you can see the Father. In fact, in ministry, I'll tell you one of the things that, that was beneficial for my life as a minister, studying the life of Christ from the perspective of his ministry. I believe Jesus is a minister's minister, and he's the best. If you want to learn for the best, go to the best. There's incredible wisdom and insight as I've studied his life from the perspective of his ministry. I've learned so much and changed so much and found answers. It's changed me. There's things I used to do I don't do anymore because Jesus got results, and there's reasons why he did things the way he did things. You can see the Father, the true nature and character of the person, who they really are, if you just look at Jesus. Look into Jesus. Bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ is you are replacing something. You're, you're seeing something, and you're seeing truth, but it's a process because you have to see it for yourself, not because I say so. You have to have your own experience with the Holy Spirit. Where he's, a t- he's a spirit of truth. He'll lead, direct, and guide you in all truth. He'll show it to you. And I'm telling you, when he shows, when the light turns on, Ephesians 1.18, when the eyes of understanding become enlightened, light, light, light. I like him back in the corner of the room. What was put there from the old days, I assume, God is light. Hmm, I could, I could talk about that for a bit. But light, speaking of the Holy Spirit, revelation and darkness goes, light comes so that we can see what we couldn't see before. So there's a perspective and perception, a depth that's inwardly on the inside that comes. And there's an old saying, when the iron's hot, strike. From the days of the blacksmith working with the, with the heat and the iron and the fire, when it's the right... When that metal's ready to be worked with, man, that's the time for it to be molded. That's the time for it to be shaped. When, when the Holy Spirit's speaking, boy, that's the time. When you're receiving, that's the time to where you're looking, you're looking, you're focusing, you're looking. You don't, you don't become distracted. You don't put your eyes back on yourself. You don't put your eyes anywhere else. You see that little boy in this situation? What happened was this. <clears throat> I didn't pray for him right away because neither he or the Father had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I said, come in, listen to Andrew, come in, hear the teaching, and go receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and then find me. I'll be praying for people during the time of prayer. And when, sure enough, I looked over, and they did that. I looked over to my right during the time of prayer. I've been praying for people, and I looked over. They were standing there. I motioned for them to come over. That little boy standing up, his leg hit the floor, wham. And mom hit the floor, too. She just lost it emotionally because that's her little kid and the tears that flow because, wham, now he's ready to pull those braces off. He's ready to run. But fear came out of the heart of the mother. No, 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 no. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We'll we'll just let the doctor do it because it was still on the inside of her heart. I said, not a problem. I can give you many testimonies of doctors like, for instance, on that very same church where the little boy with autism, I prayed for a, a girl that, that her friends brought her to the meeting and normally she'd never been in a meeting like that. She, I don't know, maybe 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, whatever it was. And there she, she's there, and, but she's up at the front and she's watching me pray for people. She'd never seen stuff like this before, but she's got a broken arm. And turned out later that the doctors told her that the arm wasn't mending because it wasn't healing up for such a long time, still in pain, still hurting, can't move, you know, hardly move it. And, and, and the doctor said, well, we're going to have to reconstruct her surgery because it's not mending. She fell off a horse and broke her arm. 
She's probably just really active and instead of laying up, she just keeps moving it maybe. I don't know. But the fact is this, it's not healing right. And so she watches what she's seeing and watching what's happening as people are physically changing because she's right up at the front. This is all new to her. Her father is a, is a local theologian at a, at a seminary that teaches against all this. And here she is in a meeting and, you know, very prominent university, college. And anyway, here she is. And so she comes up for prayer. And when I put my hand on the cast and arm and released the life of Christ around that area, all that pain left. And she was healed. And I said, now try to make it hurt. She did everything she could that would normally be incredible pain. She couldn't make it hurt. At the realization that Jesus healed her, tears began to flow. She'd never experienced anything like that before. She went back home. And when she went back home, her, her parents said, no, 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 no. We're going to take you back to the doctor. They took her back to the doctor. He x-rayed, arm perfectly mended. You know what? Not a problem. Doctors will confirm. But you see, the next day, I had to go head on to my meeting. I was there long enough because they were short-handed, and so I was helping out during the time of prayer. But we, Melissa and I, we left, went on to our meetings. We'd be over there by Sunday. And, but the next day, the mother took the boy to Andrew. And they're talking. And the mother's sharing about what God did, and the little boy's quiet because the adults are talking. And Pretty soon, though, fear began to come out of her heart because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, and it's on the inside. It's just a matter of time that it's going to come out. And sure enough, the fear began to come out. First, she's talking about the good. Now, there's the fear that bad's going to come back because that's what she's always experienced. When good come, bad will come later. And she, when she thought she had something, it turned out she didn't have it. Here's the bad. Hope deferred make up the heart sick. A more modern translation says it this way in Proverbs 13, 12. Unrelenting disappointment. When over and over and over again, you, your heart gets elevated to where you want something good, you think you're going to get something good, like coming for prayer, but instead, wham! Your heart comes crashing down on the inside because bad happens, not good. And you don't experience the good that you want. Instead, you experience bad. Now do that over and over and over again. In, in, the, in the beginning, at the first time, you can recover. Second time, you might recover. Third and fourth, you might recover a little slower. But you keep getting prayer with nothing happening. That is very detrimental for your heart. There are times I don't pray for people because they're not prepared to receive the life of Christ. They don't need prayer. They do need to be ministered to, but they don't need prayer. You know what Jesus did when he experienced unbelief? In his own hometown, when only a minor healing, just a very few minor healings, no mighty works, no mighty works at all. What he did is what we're supposed to do. He went around to all the villages teaching. They don't need prayer. They, see, the intent of a teaching gift is to take the truth from God's word, make it so simple that a child can understand it. So that they, over time, it takes time, line upon line, precept upon precept, it takes time for your heart to change. It takes time for the... See, some of you, while I'm speaking, some of you, the Holy Spirit's speaking to you. Some of you are hearing more than what I'm saying. Because you've got enough on the inside that things are connected and the Holy Spirit's being... For some of you, may be hearing things and you're still trying to hear, but, you, but you're having difficulty putting the pieces together because I'm giving you so much. It all depends on where your heart's at. But you listen over and over and over again to teaching, and each time you'll hear something you didn't hear the time before because the more understanding you have of the Holy Spirit, the more that you can receive from him. The more understanding you have, the more you understand you can receive because you have to have something to receive something. Hmm. So it's a process, this understanding coming to your heart. And that little boy 
when the unbelief began to come out of the heart of the mother with Andrew, it, his adults talking, but the little boy spoke up. He said this. He said, no, mom, I'm healed. And Andrew said, I agree with him. Because he understood what was coming out of the heart of his mother. That fear was coming out. That unbelief was coming. I taught him how to guard his heart. I said, look, I said, this is your heart. You guard your heart from every single person. Don't you give your healing away. Don't you let something else become truth because someone else says it. You, you get it. You keep it. You don't let it go. Let me tell you, he's a determined little kid. He got it. He saw it. But he didn't have fear already on the inside or I would have ministered to the area of fear. The parents had fear. But he didn't. He had a different heart than his own mother because she's the one that dealt with all the circumstances. She's the one that went through the challenges but never went back to Jesus. When she experienced failure, when she went through the challenge, she always turned within herself. Hmm. Sometimes Christians, that's what we do. Why? Receiving is about Jesus. Keeping it, it's not hard to keep your healing. Man, I'll tell a little 10-year-old boy how to keep his healing. If a 10-year-old can do it, anybody can do it. It's not hard to keep your healing unless your heart's in a condition where you receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit and God helps you experience His grace in that situation, but you turn around later and give it away. Whether it be five minutes, ten minutes, an hour, a day, a week, a month, that's happening in the body of Christ because of the value and the benefit of the Word of God for our heart. We receive something, but we don't understand the value and the benefit of the Word of God. I'm telling you, when the Word of God comes alive, you've got something that will stay with you the rest of your life. It's on the inside of you unless you give it away. It's on the inside of you. There is a benefit to God's word. My, praise God. Thank you, brother. Hmm. Thank you, Cecil. And uh, again, lots of things for you to ponder on, to meditate on. Um, we can see that we, we 